Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Lance's House of Sports. Don't forget to rate the podcast, share it with a friend, and tune in weekly for weekly podcasts. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Lance's House of Sports. I'm your host, Lance Wyatt, and we got a lot to talk about today. We got to keep up with the NBA. The NFL franchise tag deadline is happening as we speak. And then, of course, can't forget about it. It's March. March Madness is right around the corner. But where I'm starting today, we got to start in the NBA because of some major news that has been coming out over the last week or so. And if you don't already know, it's Memphis Grizzlies star point guard, John Morant, has been dealing with multiple, I guess you could say, accusations of allegedly having problems with gun issues. Uh, So let's recap it back to the very first instance that happened. So just a week or so ago, maybe a couple weeks ago, it came out how John Morant, again, I'm putting my fingers up in the air, allegedly beat up a 17-year-old kid landing many punches, over 10 punches on the 17-year-old, and then later on pulling a gun on this kid. And it only got worse for Morant as now the police are starting to investigate Morant potentially bringing uh, a gun onto his team charter plane um, before a game for the Grizzlies. And we already know within that itself, I mean, that's just terrible character for Morant, just showing him with a gun. Because before all that news came out, he went on Instagram Live, I believe it was Saturday morning, um, with just him and his face and his gun right next to his head, just flexing it, acting like a big man, acting like he doesn't make over $200 million a year. But going back to the plane incident with Morant, um, Mark Stein reported on Morant that By rule, the CBA says that if there is a firearm ever on a team premises or even on a team plane, that's an automatic 50-game suspension for that player. And that's why the league is currently trying to figure out exactly where the gun was with Morant before that Instagram video came out. Um, So what does this mean for Morant? It means that he got himself into a boatload of trouble just by making some stupid acts again and again and again. And the Grizzlies have already been dealing with some problems. Steven Adams has been out for the last month or maybe even two um, with a serious injury. And we do not know when he's going to be returning. And this is just another big flaw for the Grizzlies and their team. As I talk about it on this show all the time, I think this team has a chance to make a run at the title this year. Um, And with how tough the West is getting, you know, with the trades being made with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, both being moved over to the West, this is just another problem that are being put in the Grizzlies' path. So with that being said, we don't know um, what the repercussions are going to be for Morant. We don't know if he did truly bring his gun onto the team plane. Um, But what we do know is that the Grizzlies are not in the best type of light as we speak. And I just want to bring this up about it. You know, as a team, when they bring up this instance with John Morant and the problems that he has been dealing with with his gun issues, they relate it back to a mental issue with him. And I don't understand how that correlates. Like when he apologized to the public about it and to the fans, he said he said it's the mental problems that he's going through. And he said he's going to work on himself to better himself. In my opinion, I mean, I think that's a load of crap. I think that's just 
you know, he got a little hot headed for the last couple of weeks and he kind of exposed his true character to the world for a little bit. And it surprises me a lot because with a guy with this much fame, with this much money that he now has because of the talent that he has in the league. And let's not forget, he has a very well-rounded family around him. He's got great parents around him. He went to a very good school when he was younger. I think this is just him kind of stepping out and kind of just exposing who he really is, in my opinion. And maybe that's not the case. Maybe he is going through some mental problems, some mental trauma, and it's causing him to act out this way. Um, so maybe I should stop myself before I keep uh, judging him like that. But no matter what, at the end of the day, this is something that is inexcusable no matter what. And it's going to end up costing the Grizzlies, whether he's suspended just for a few more games or whether he's out the rest of the season going into next season. But what this means for the Grizzlies and the rest of the Western Conference, me personally, I'm automatically taking them out of title contention because I'm going to assume that he did bring his gun under the team plane and that's going to suspend him for 50 games. If that's not the case, I still think it brings up drama for the rest of the team as there were also news that went around before... I guess as all of this information was coming out, um, Steven Adams, the center that's been out for a long period of time, held a team meeting to talk about pretty much character and about how people should be acting on and off the floor. And a lot of people in the media think that he was pointing directly at John Morant. And it's just not a good look as all of this is starting to come out at around the exact same time. So I have, I have the injury report pulled up now. So Steven Adams is expected to be returning in any game now. It could be the next game they play. It could be in a week or so. It could be in two weeks. But he's going to be back sooner rather than later. And then other news with the Grizzlies that doesn't help, Brandon Clark, backup center for him, he tore his Achilles. He's out for the rest of the year. So that's another big injury and another big factor that's holding the Grizzlies team back. And last thing that I want to state before I move away from the Grizzlies and go to the Western Conference as a whole um, it'll be very interesting to see if they let John Morant come back um, for their game on Thursday on March 9th because he was originally only suspended for a few games and he was supposed to be returning on March 9th. But that was before all the information about Morant potentially bringing the gun onto the team plane. So whether that suspension gets extended um, or whether the news comes out sooner rather than later, I do not know. But with all of this coming out, I just don't see how this Grizzlies team can figure a way to bring this all together and find a way to win come playoff time. Granted, they have a month to do so, but I, I personally do not think we'll see Moran come playoff time. It's very disappointing to see because he's one of the most talented players in this league, but I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. And with that being said, we got to talk about the Western Conference on this podcast because, I mean, when you look at from seed – Four all the way down to seed 12, there are only five games in between the 12th seed and the four seed. So it is bunched up as much as possible. And as I currently speak, um, it could possibly change as from when this podcast comes out. But just listing the rankings, you got Denver Nuggets at the top still, seven games ahead of the second seed, Memphis Grizzlies. And then you got the Kings riding strong at the third seed, just a half game back of the two seed Grizzlies. So that'll be very interesting to see and something to definitely keep an eye on as the Kings are still playing good basketball with seven and three in their last 10. 
And then you got the Phoenix Suns kind of staying where they've been at. They're seven and three in their last 10. Um, they've been balling out with Kevin Durant, the new addition, um, as Devin Booker's probably been playing his best basketball I've ever seen him play. Um, and without a doubt, the best he's been playing all season with the addition of Kevin Durant. You can just see how much pressure gets taken off Devin Booker, and you can see how dominant he can be as a number two guy on a team. And that's for sure something that is going to be a threat come playoff time. But then another really, really interesting thing in my eyes. As I was counting out the Golden State Warriors, I thought with the Steph Curry injury, I thought he was going to be out a little bit longer than he actually was. He returned um, the other day, and he's back for the Golden State Warriors. And while he was out, the Warriors have only crept up in the standings. It's been incredible to watch and a scary sight to see, in my opinion, as I'm probably... I mean, as everybody should be, but I'm probably more scared of the Warriors than anyone you know firsthand <laughs> as a Celtics fan. But the Warriors are currently sitting at the fifth seed, 12 games back of the one. Um, they're two games back of the Suns for the four seed, and they just got Steph Curry back. And they're warming up, and they're playing some good ball, getting their best player back at the right time. And we'll get back to the Warriors in a second, but just talking about the rest of the West, the Timberwolves have consistently stayed in the sixth seed, something that surprises me a little bit. But like we said, you know, the West is completely jam-packed. Um, the Kyrie Irving addition with the Dallas Mavericks has not seemed to be the best so far for them as they've lost a multitude of games. Almost every single game they've lost has been by one possession. Um, but Kyrie and Luka have been dominating together offensively. They've just been struggling to tally in the wins. Um, so you got to think that changes eventually. But as we currently stand, they're sitting at the two seed with a matchup with the Memphis Grizzlies in the first round. So I don't know who's scarier, but I definitely would not want to see the Mavericks sitting in a seven or an eight seed if I'm the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, or even the Kings. And then just to round it out, you know, at eight, nine, and 10, you got the Clippers, the Jazz, the Blazers, and the Lakers are slowly creeping up at the 11. I feel like last time we talked about them on the podcast, they were sitting at the 13th seed. And granted, like I said, they're still 15 games back. The 12th seed Pelicans and the 13th seed Thunder are right uh, neck and neck with the Lakers. So anything can change. But 9, 10, 11, and 12, all four of those teams are currently um, 31 and 34 with the exact same record with no one really dominating consistently winning games. So with all that being said about the Western Conference, you know, we got to start talking about, you know, potential matchups for the playoffs and where teams are looking to get to come playoff time. And in my opinion, you know, the Lakers before the LeBron injury, they were talking about how they were aiming for the sixth seed. I think they should start to aim for the seven now if they can still get it done. We don't know how long LeBron's going to be out. I mean, they said two to three weeks. It could be longer. It could be less. We know he's the king, so we know he heals better than any other human on the planet. But, you know, if the Lakers can find a way to keep winning games and keep themselves in that plan contention, I mean, that's all they can ask for. Um, I don't see a six seed in their future because I, I see the Mavericks just only getting better in these last 16-plus games or whatever it may be. And that's interesting in my opinion because I, everyone in the Western Conference is uh, searching out for the Kings right now, and they're sitting at the three seed, half game back from the two seed. And as much as I love the Kings and as well-rounded I think their roster is, they're still young. They don't have a lot of experience in the playoffs. So you know a lot of teams are going to be attacking them come playoff time, and that's teams like the Golden State Warriors, the Dallas Mavericks, the Los Angeles Clippers, the 
uh, Los Angeles Lakers. We don't know what to expect from the Pelicans as they have been plummeting to their death without Zion Williamson. And as I said before, they're currently at the 12th seed, and this is probably the worst um, stretch a team has ever been through after at one point in the season being a one seed in their conference. But looking at the injury report for when we expect to see Zion back, they said they're expecting another week, and then he'll return. But again, you know, he re-injures his hamstring all the time. So, I mean, we hope to see him back. A team like the Pelicans is a team that, in my opinion, nobody wants to see in the play-in and nobody wants to see in the playoffs because when they are fully healthy, they have one of the best one-two-three combo punches in the league. You know, with all that being said and how jam-packed the West is, that kind of brings me into my topic of, you know, who's the biggest threat in the Western Conference right now to to make it to the finals and represent this Western Conference? And it's tough because it changes week in and week out. You never know how injuries are going to go. One injury can impact an entire team as a whole. But you know what? I got to tell you right now, the Golden State Warriors are threatening and they're in the perfect position for themselves to potentially go right back to the finals because where they're sitting right now, uh, a lot of these top teams in the Western Conference, they've never really proved it in the West, in the playoffs. Speaking uh, solely about the Denver Nuggets and Nikola Jokic, they've never really got it done on that stage before. Um, You got teams like the Suns, you know, and the Mavericks. They got these fresh rosters. How I always see it, it always takes uh, teams like this time to succeed come playoff time no matter how much talent's on that roster and why you have a team like the Warriors who they've been around they've been a dynasty before you could argue that their dynasty is still currently going on with the roster they have and now you bring back Steph Curry and you bring him back at the perfect time with a month to go leading up in the playoffs if this team gets hot they can be any team in the league just like they always do so I Don't be surprised when we see the Warriors again. I'm saying it again. I went to them. I went away from them, but I'm going back. And I think the Warriors are probably the biggest threat in the Western Conference to represent um, to go to the NBA Finals. But after that, you know, I probably I probably go right to the Phoenix Suns. And that's strictly because of Kevin Durant and how much talent he provides for the Phoenix Suns team. I mean, yes. It sucks to lose guys like Mikel Bridges, like Cam Johnson. They're great role players. They know how to score. We've been seeing it firsthand with them on the Brooklyn Nets. Um, Mikel Bridges has been playing the best ball he's played in his career, and it's because he's been able to open up his game because he's arguably the best player on that team now. But when you put Kevin Durant on that Suns team with Devin Booker, with a veteran presence in Chris Paul who knows the inside and out of the game, you got a one of the better big men in the league in DeAndre Ayton. I mean, it's it's scary. It's scary to think about. They can score points and they can score points in bunches. Um, who do you double team? Who do you who do you focus your defense priorities on? So I, I mean, outside the Warriors, I move strictly to the Suns because we've seen it just in the few games we've seen with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant play. I mean, it just opens up Devin Booker's game more, and you know they're hungry with a aging Chris Paul who knows when he's coming to the end of his career it's a debate that this could be the end for him after this season we really don't know and the scariest part about all of that is that you know the Warriors being a big threat who they are the Suns getting Kevin Durant is that you know the the Suns and the Warriors are the two four and five seeds in the Western Conference that's how bunched up this Western Conference is 
we don't know who the first round matchups are going to be. We don't know who the second round matchups are going to be. So all that is saying is that it is leading up to one of the most bizarre NBA playoffs that we have ever seen. Um, so yeah, so obviously I, I think it's a clear reason why I do have the Warriors and the Suns at the top of the list. I mean, we don't know how the Warriors are going to play in these last few months. Um, Steph struggled in his first came back, but I mean, that's expected, right? But a lot of people probably hear this and they're like, but come on, man, what about these Nuggets? They've been dominating all season long. Nikola Jokic is on his way to a back-to-back-to-back MVP. But, you know, it goes back to what I kind of briefly said when I was talking about this Warriors team, like... We've seen some of these guys get it done in the playoffs before, and that's obviously the Warriors. We've seen the Suns in the finals against the Bucks a couple years ago, and now they just add a dominant player who's been on all the best teams you can think of in Kevin Durant. But that doesn't mean the Denver Nuggets can't get it done this season. I mean, they have arguably one of the, if not the best player in the league right now, to add along a Jamal Murray, a Michael Porter Jr. But when it comes down to them or the experience I'm taking the experienced team every single time. But we'll see. I mean, that's the best part about the league. You got to watch, and you got to watch it play out because none of us really know. But let me tell you right now, this Western Conference playoffs and the entire playoffs in general is going to be some of the best that we have ever seen. And now moving over to the Eastern Conference before we uh, move over to the NFL, Um, My Boston Celtics, they've been struggling recently, man. I mean, Robert Williams, he went down with another gruesome injury about a week ago. It's going to hold him out for another week or so, I'd say. The injury is a hamstring injury as well. So it's not something you want to see for a big man like that. But, you know, no excuses at the end of the day. Celtics have been going through a three-game losing streak. Um, this is probably the biggest slump of the season they've been going through. They've fallen down to the two-seed behind the Bucks. They're actually two games behind the Bucks now. And what does this mean for the Eastern Conference now? Because Giannis Antetokounmpo is, without a doubt, the scariest player in the league. And he has one of the best teams around him. And to top it off with how good the Eastern Conference is, I mean, we continuously talk about it. But the Philadelphia 76ers, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I think I'm going to add them to the mix because, I mean, they just... I mean, they beat my boys twice, so I kind of have to. Uh, The New York Knicks, I mean... Maybe it's time we start giving them some credit and maybe it's time to give credit to Jalen Brunson because a lot of people were saying when he got signed to the Knicks over this offseason that he got overpaid. Now the argument is that did he get underpaid because he has been that big of a difference maker for this Knicks team. I mean, they're on a nine-game winning streak and counting and their players are playing some great basketball. I mean, looking at the stats right here, I mean – Julius Randle leads the team in points per game, 25.5 per game, as well as 10 rebounds. And then you add that Jalen Brunson to the mix, who's averaging 24 himself. And then you got R.J. Barrett, who's averaging just under 20 points a game. It's rare when you see three guys on one team average just about 20 points per game. Um, And then you add the addition with Josh Hart, who's been playing pretty well for the Knicks, honestly. And then a scary sixth man off the bench who is starting to come to light for me as he just had a career day against my Celtics this past weekend. I mean, he averages 13 points per game, but you can see that he's a threat off the bench and can score willingly as well as any of these uh, six men in the league. But with that being said, no, I don't think the Knicks can make the craziest type of noise in the playoffs. And that's just because, you know, I don't think they have that a top 10 guy. In my opinion, to be successful in the playoffs, you have to have a top 10 guy. You have to have a guy to 
pretty much put the team on their shoulder and get it done. Because there's going to be games or two or three where that is going to be needed. Even in just the last five minutes of crunch time, maybe your team's struggling in the second quarter, going through a big run, and you need someone to pick them up. I don't know if the Knicks have that guy. Maybe it is Jalen Brunson. Maybe it's not. And that's something I really don't know yet. I'm not saying Jalen Brunson's a top 10 player in this league, but he might just be the right type of difference maker to help the Knicks win a series come playoff time. Because as we look at it right now, like I said, it's Milwaukee, it's Boston, it's Philly at the three, Cleveland's hanging on to that four spot, and then it's the Knicks a game and a half behind Cleveland. And me and Ben talked about it last week. If the Knicks are able to creep up on Cleveland and gain that home court advantage against them, a lot of people were to disagree with me, but I think this Knicks team can be scary. But outside of that, I mean, then you got Brooklyn at the sixth seed and you got Miami at the seventh seed. I think that's kind of where it tops off. Whoever's the eighth seed, whether it's the Hawks, whether it's the Raptors, whoever it may be, I think they get swept by the whoever they play. It just hasn't been the type of season for those type of teams. And it honestly hasn't for the Heat either. But we all know that the Heat turn it on to a different level come playoff time every single season. So I'm not expecting any different for them. So for me, as a Celtics fan, right now we're matching up against the Heat in the first round. And that is the last thing that I want to see. Because with the type of ball we've been playing, we need an easier matchup come playoff time because we weren't as hot as we were going into the playoffs last year to be going through an insane playoff schedule like we did last year. So we got to keep an eye on that. And I know, I know I'm kind of talking about the playoffs, but I just have to give love to the Brooklyn Nets because I love the team that they have, honestly. I know they got rid of KD, they got rid of Kyrie Irving, but once Kyrie Irving got out of there, we knew KD was going to be gone eventually. So I think it was for the best that they got it done now. And no, they're not winning anything with the roster they have now. But this team, honestly, in my opinion, has a chance in the next few years, if they can get that one big piece to round out this team together, this team can be one of the best teams in the league. Because I'm a big fan of Mikel Bridges. Obviously, he's been showing it that he can score at an incredible rate with this new Nets team. I mean, he's averaging over 26 points per game now with the Nets. And then you add that along with Spencer Dinwiddie, the new addition from the Mavericks, Cameron Thomas, you know, the forward from Phoenix that they brought along as well. He's the sharpshooter for him. Dorian Finney-Smith, he's a good role player. And then you round it out with Nick Claxton at the center spot. I mean, this has a team that is full of good, really good players. I feel, I feel like I can't hype them up too much because obviously they don't have a superstar, but I think any of those players are superstars in the making. And then now they have all the draft picks I think they're a team we got to watch out for in the next couple of years but with that being said I mean to finish out my NBA topic I mean I'm still taking my Celtics to get through in the east and figure out a way because you know they've played 66 games that means they got 16 games remaining in my eyes that means they got 16 games to pull it together and figure it out whatever they've been going through with that being said I don't think I consider the Cavs a contender I don't consider the Knicks a contender but I will consider the Philadelphia 76ers a contender because last night in the game that I didn't see I was happened to be at the Celtics Cavs game last night but you know for the second time this season uh, Joel Embiid had over 40 points and James Harden had 20 assists in the same game. And a lot of people discredit James Harden for the type of player he's been this last year or two. But I feel like he's kind of just meshing into this team perfectly. And he's playing the exact type of role that they need him to be in. And I know it, I, I kind of relate them to the Nuggets a little bit because the Sixers have been a team that have never been able 
to get over their own hump when it comes to making it to the Eastern Conference Finals, to potentially making it to the Finals. I've been saying it time and time again. This is one of the best well-rounded rosters in the league. They are able to go seven or eight deep. They have a top two center in the league. They have one of the most premier point guards in the NBA in James Harden. And then they have a young guy in Tyrese Maxey who I love watching, honestly. He's a tremendous scorer. He's one of the best shot creators I've seen in the league this season. And if Tobias Harris is able to bring it together, I'm scared. Uh, Philadelphia 76ers is not a team I want to face. I know the sell. I know we own them over the last few years. We, Joel Embiid said it himself. Like it's not a rivalry when they can't beat us, but it doesn't mean that this season they can't get it done. So with that being said, you know biggest threats in the East. I'm gonna keep saying it because I have to say it to make myself feel better. Like I think the Celtics are the top dogs, but I think the Bucks are the biggest threat in the East right now with the way Giannis who Giannis is as a whole, Drew Holiday playing his best basketball of his career. They just went on that 16-game winning streak, and Chris Middleton is playing his worst basketball of his career. So just wait until he starts getting his full game up to his standards. This Bucks team is going to be scary, and if we're going to beat them, uh, Celtics I'm speaking, we got to find a way to get that one seed back because it is going to be tough to beat a Bucks team in a Game 7 on the road in Milwaukee. I know we've done it before last year in a Game 6, but a Game 7 is a completely different standard. With that being said, I'm going to finish up my NBA talk, and I'm going to move over to the NFL as, as we speak, um, the franchise tag deadline has officially hit, and a lot of news has been coming in, and you know, I got a few that I want to talk about, but at first, Chris, if you're listening, I'm going to talk about your boys first, and that's the New York Giants, because the New York Giants made the decision. They are franchise tagging Saquon Barkley. They're choosing to hold on to Saquon. They're franchise tagging him for $10.091 million, and I honestly like that, but a lot of people are like, what the hell What about Daniel Jones? Well, Daniel Jones got paid, ladies and gentlemen. It happened. They gave him the money. They just uh, signed Daniel Jones. He got paid, agreed to a four-year, $160 million contract extension for the Giants. And it's pretty interesting to think about. I mean, it's $8 million above the franchise tag, but, you know, it's lower than that $50 million, $45 million than he was asking for. I personally think it's a little bit of, of an overpay. But when you look at the market of the QBs and how much the market has gone up for these QBs, I honestly think it's a good deal for the Giants. If they wanted to keep him around and they wanted to pay him his money, I think that's the right salary to give it to him at. You know, with all that being said, now they have they have their quarterback, they have their quarterback for the next four years. They have their running back solidified for the next year or so. It'll be interesting to see what they do with Saquon. Um, I don't believe it's come out if it's an exclusive or inexclusive tag for Saquon Barkley but I'm assuming he will stay within the team for the next year he'll stay on this team um, but what does this mean for the Giants I mean how I see it, it means they're running it back that's it and you know what's the next piece where do they go next uh, with the Giants and where I see it is they got to go get themselves some weapons for Daniel Jones because they're not going to be making any noise in the playoffs if they don't get any weapons for Daniel Jones and we'll see if they make that happen. Um, maybe we see it by the time this podcast ends. I doubt it, but that'll be definitely something interesting to keep an eye on over these next up-and-coming weeks leading up to the draft. 
With that being said, moving over to the other teams, I know we were talking about franchise tag deals, other guys that were tagged. Tony Pollard, running back for the Dallas Cowboys. I love that tag for the Cowboys. That doesn't mean I don't think Tony Pollard deserves his money because I think he deserves his money. If they weren't able to get the deal done, you cannot lose a guy like that. He's a, he's a future-type player for this Cowboys team, and he has the potential to be a three-down back for them depending on what they do with Zeke Elliott. But... A great tag, in my opinion, getting Tony Pollard. Josh Jacobs was another running back that ended up getting franchise tagged um, over these last few days. And I think that's another fantastic tag, not for the league, but for the Raiders. It's a fantastic tag for them as Josh Jacobs is coming off probably, not probably, without a doubt, his best season of his career with over 1,600 rushing yards and 12 rushing touchdowns and only one fumble lost. He had over 2,000 total yards from scrimmage, and that is now his third 1,000-yard campaign in four seasons for him now, um, and he was also a first-team All-Pro selection last year. So I think that's a great tag for the Raiders. I wish Josh Jacobs was getting his money because that's the one thing that sucks about franchise tagging is like, you know, it's a great move for the team, but for the players, like it's almost as if they're getting snubbed because they know they deserve more. But that's how that's how the league works nowadays, you know? Like when the team's not ready to give the player their money but they don't want to give it up, they just tag them. And that's how it works. So I hope the best for Josh Jacobs this season. I hope he has another dominant year. But no matter what, I think this man deserves to get paid because he was lights out last season. Another player that got franchise tagged, Evan Ingram for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't know how I feel about that one. Um, I'm not against it. I feel like they maybe could have tagged some better players um, just because of how much money they're going to be giving Evan Ingram now. Like I said, um, you know, the franchise tag is different for each position, and they're going to be giving Evan Ingram over $11.3 million this season. So that's definitely an interesting one to keep an eye on. But it just, to me, that just shows how much value they think this player has for this team this up-and-coming season. You know, it's just adding to the addition. They're holding on to him. They're getting Calvin Ridley back this season, which will be really interesting, who's being reinstated. He was suspended last season for uh, gambling on sports games, which, I don't know, some people were for, some people were against. But, you know, whether he's playing football or he's not playing football, it's something in your contract that you're not allowed to do. But you know what? He's back, and that's a big addition for this Jaguars team who's just looking to continuously improve with the young Trevor Lawrence. Now moving over to just deals that we've uh, seen over the last couple of days be made um, over the NFL. Um, the biggest one to me, one surprised me a little bit, I think it's well-deserved, though, and that's Geno Smith. Geno Smith got paid his money, and it was well-deserved with the season he had last year. Geno Smith getting a three-year, $105 million contract to stay in Seattle. And if that doesn't say that who they're going with as quarterback next season, I don't know what else to tell you. But Geno Smith is going to be their guy next year, and that's huge in my opinion. Well-deserved. He's been sitting on the bench his whole career Finally got a chance to make, uh, make a statement, and he more than did that last year. But now that moves over to the question to who do these guys take come the NFL draft because we know their quarterback position's taken up now, so it's, it'll be interesting to see um, what type of position they go to to help improve their roster. Because uh, for those of you that do not know, the Seattle Seahawks do have a top five pick in this draft from that trade they made with Russell Wilson a year ago. So they're going to have options. I mean, 
It'll be very interesting. A lot of people were thinking, you know, that's the prime spot to take a quarterback. Who knows if Stroud's going to be there? Who knows if Bryce Young's going to be there? Uh, it's definitely more likely than not they will be. But then it moves into the other two quarterbacks below on the charts that are also projected to go top 10. And that's guys like Anthony Richardson from Florida and Will Levis from Kentucky. So with them off the table, it'll be interesting to see if they want to go with an edge rusher or a defensive tackle with guys like Will Anderson or Jalen Carter, or, you know, whether they want to try and get an offensive tackle to help out their O-line with a guy like Paris Johnson Jr. I have no idea where this team goes from here because I personally thought they were going to take a quarterback and they were going to go through another QB battle, but I love the route they decided to go to sign Geno Smith and make him the future for at least the next three years. Another man that got paid his money, it's DC4, ladies and gentlemen, Derek Carr. Um, but it is not for the Las Vegas Raiders like all of us knew. He was not returning there. The team that's given him his money is the New Orleans Saints. They signed him to a four-year, $150 million contract, with $100 million of that being guaranteed. So, man, what does that mean for the Saints? Well... I honestly do not know yet because we don't know how this team's going to look come season time because as much as I want to say Alvin Kamara is going to be there come the fall, we don't know what's going to be going on because he is in a pretty large case uh, surrounding his assault that happened about a year or maybe even two years ago now. Um, so who knows if he's going to be getting suspended or if he's even going to be playing football at all in this next year or so. But let me tell you what the, who that is big for, and that's second-year wide receiver Chris Olave. He had one of the best seasons of the year last year, was well-deserving of potentially being Offensive Rookie of the Year. They gave it to his partner in crime at Ohio State, Garrett Wilson, but he still had a tremendous year, and now this is just only going up um, for Chris Olave and the Saints team. Um, so that's something I love to see for the Saints. Um, I couldn't really see them getting a quarterback any better, but it's an upgrade from Jameis Winston, I will tell you that. And that brings me in probably probably the biggest news of the day. Um, I apologize for not talking about it while you know I was bringing up the franchise tag. But the most shocking news to me is that the the Baltimore Ravens chose to franchise tag Lamar Jackson. And that means Lamar Jackson, he's getting his, you know, franchise tagged money which is around 32 million dollars but it was the inexclusive tag which means that other teams can still go out and get this man and pay him the money he deserves but what makes it really interesting to me and I was talking to Callie about it a little bit before we started this podcast today and it was I feel like the Ravens just don't want to give this man his money, and it doesn't mean he's not going to end up getting it from them because with this inexclusive tag, other teams out all around the league can go ahead and give this man the money that they think he deserves. But it also means with this inexclusive tag is that the Ravens can match whatever offer gets offered to Lamar Jackson and whatever it may be. And what I'm thinking in the back of my mind is that that's exactly what the Ravens are going to do. And I kind of just feel bad for Lamar Jackson in that stance because, you know, this team does not give Lamar the credit he deserves. I get it. He's been dealing with some injuries the last couple of years, but so do a lot of quarterbacks. And it's not like they have nearly even close to the best line in football. He has some of the worst weapons in football to go along with that. Probably one of the worst receiving cores in 
in the league, and they're a run-heavy offense. And, of course, it's going to be a run-heavy offense when you have solid running backs such as J.K. and company, as well as the best running quarterback in football in Lamar Jackson. But this player deserves more, man. This guy's well-deserving of making $50 million plus a year. Um, he's been asking for two hundred plus million guaranteed, and I think it's well deserving. He's one of the most specially gifted quarterbacks this league has ever seen, and the fact that the Ravens are kind of just putting leaving him out to dry, it kind of shows the character of this Ravens franchise and organization and how they view Lamar Jackson as a player. So we'll see, you know, what uh, ends up happening with that. Because I know for a fact that another team is going to offer Lamar Jackson the money he deserves. It's just the one thing in the back of my mind that I think people need to watch out for is whatever offer teams offer him, the Ravens have a chance to match it, to retain him. And I really hope they don't because with what they've done this last few months trying to work a deal with him, we know exactly how they feel about Lamar Jackson. And I just think it's time for him to move on, go to a different team, and start fresh because that would be what is best for his career. Um, with all that franchise tag news coming out, I mean, I'll go back to it when more news gets released about other teams. Um, but this is a good time for me to shift over to more of the Aaron Rodgers talk as his trade talk is starting to heat up. It looks like he's not going to be retiring. It looks like we're going to get discount double check back for some more seasons. He's going to be playing football this year. And the first team that's uh, reaching out to him and is actually traveling to Green Bay today um, this is Tuesday I'm talking about. Um, I know this podcast will probably be posted on Thursday, but on Tuesday, March 7th, um, a meeting is being scheduled and is being set for a lot of executives, in, including head coach Robert Sala, to meet with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay today. So that is definitely something to keep an eye on as the Jets have been one of the main teams to try and fight and go out and trade for Aaron Rodgers. You know, that's something I'd love to see, honestly, because this Jets team was very, what's the right word for it? You know, they exceeded expectations this past season with the way they were playing, and yet they still had major quarterback problems last year, as they had maybe three, maybe even four different quarterbacks last year. But, you know, right now, looking at it, it's Zach Wilson as their main guy, and you know they're never getting anywhere close to the playoffs with Zach Wilson at quarterback, in my opinion. As much as a lady killer he is, I just don't see that being the case. And so with the with the type of defense that they have, they have a playoff-type defense. They have the dominant running back who sadly got hurt last year in Brees Hall, but he'll be back next season. They got the running back. They got the receiver in Garrett Wilson. So they have the weapon for Aaron Rodgers, including others around him. Um, but I think the Jets would be a one of the best landing spots for Aaron Rodgers, honestly. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on in the next up-and-coming days. Maybe it takes a little longer. Maybe we don't know leading up into uh, our podcast uh, next time. But, you know, the Jets right now are on, are on the top for being lead candidates to get Aaron Rodgers, in my opinion. Um, but without that, other teams to maybe keep an eye on? I'd say the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, strictly because, you know, Devontae Adams, he's there. One season without him, I think uh, it doesn't even have to be said how much he misses a receiver like that. Um, that would be a huge upgrade for a Raiders team like that. Um, but outside of that, you know, team like I have no idea who's going to be going for Aaron Rodgers, but teams that I maybe think um, should think about going try to get a quarterback like this, 
Um, maybe I'm reaching a little bit, but I want to say the Pittsburgh Steelers. I know they like Kenny Pickett. I know he's a young quarterback, um, has a lot of developing to do. But, you know, this is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity we're talking about in the NFL here, and that's a chance to get one of the best quarterbacks of all time in Aaron Rodgers. And we know how good the Steelers team is. We know how well-coached they are with Mike Tomlin and company. We know how good of a defense they have. Um, They have the wide receiver weapons with Deontay Johnson, George Pickens. And, I mean, they have Najee Harris, who had a bit of a slump season last year, but you got to think he's still super young that he can bounce back and have a better season. Hopefully they can get a better line for him. But, I mean, it's probably not going to happen, but that's something I would love to see get done for a team like the Steelers. Maybe, you know, a team like the Tennessee Titans. Um, They're struggling. A lot of people are starting to think they might head to a rebuild. Or, you know, they can go out and get Aaron Rodgers. Um, So that's something I'd be interested in seeing. You know, I don't see a lot of teams in the NFC that really fit in with him. Um, I know the Panthers have been looking to possibly um, try and go get Lamar, but I don't see that happening either. The Saints just got their quarterback. Uh, Maybe the Falcons is a team to watch out for. But outside of that, I'm kind of struggling to think of teams uh, to potentially get a quarterback with this caliber um, outside of the two teams that have seemed to have been leading the race um, over this offseason, speaking with the Jets and the Raiders. But I'd personally think I'd rather see him in Vegas as much as it would help the Jets succeed and get over the top with the young coach, with the young, with the young core they have around him. I think the Raiders are in a good position to win right now with a quarterback like that. Um, they had a very big, disappointing season last year with Derek Carr. Um, very unexpected, as they have a very talented roster, speaking about Josh Jacobs, who they just tagged, so we know he's going to be there next year. Um, best receiver in football in Devontae Adams. They have the veteran slot receiver in Hunter Renfro. Um, Darren Waller, one of the best tight ends in the league. Um, I feel like that'd be a more comfortable spot for Aaron Rodgers to go to. So if I had to pick a team, I know the Jets are the first team to go after him, but I'm going to go with the Raiders in that aspect. But who knows? It all depends on who wants to give the most money because you have to uh, be willing to match with Green Bay's uh, wanting to get in return for Aaron Rodgers because he's still under contract is what some people need to realize. He has three years left in his deal with $50 million for each season. So that's a lot to take in for football teams. So it'll be very interesting to see who ends up making that big move for him. All right. Um, so with that being said, to wound, uh, to eh, round out, the podcast, I guess, to speak, (laughs) Um, in NFL terms. Um, Let's talk about the NFL draft a little bit because, you know, we're just finishing up the NFL combine. Um, We've seen a lot of these players um, go through these drills, watching these scouts scout these players in in this combine. And it's very interesting to see where these top prospects are going to go Um, because for those of you that don't know, the order of the draft, I'll speak in top five terms, the Bears have the number one overall pick, and you know they got they got their quarterback already in Justin Fields, and I think they've already announced that they're going to hold on to him. So we got to expect for a trade with the Bears coming sometime soon. Who knows if it leads up to the draft or not? You got the Texans at the two pick. You got to expect a quarterback coming from them. The Arizona Cardinals, you know, 
their biggest need is really, you know, another edge rusher. They could use a, de- a defensive player anywhere, in my opinion. Or if they wanted to stay on the offensive side, I'd recommend an offensive lineman um, because who knows what they do with DeAndre Hopkins. Um, speculation has been out there that deals have been in place. But me personally, I wouldn't mind seeing the Cardinals hold on to a guy like that because when you lose a superstar like DeAndre Hopkins, it's very likely that your offense is going to fall apart because it's hard to replace a player like that. Um, you got the Colts at the four pick, who most likely they're taking a quarterback. And then, like I said, the five pick, Seattle's got it coming from Denver last year. So with that being said, you know who do I think gets taken in these top five picks? Where do I think players go? It's tough because obviously it depends who these teams think are the best at their position. And this is me mainly talking about the quarterback because Anthony Richardson, he had an out of this world combine. He broke multiple records. Um, He's got one of the fastest times in the past decade. And that's with him being six feet four over 240 pounds. Like this is not a small man. This is a big man we're talking about, but I still don't think he's at the talent level of Stroud of Bryce Young. I think if you go back and watch the tape from him of last year, he's a great quarterback, um, but I don't think he's worthy of a top pick like that. But with that being said, you know, I can't, I'm not going to be like Todd McShay and ex- make a mock draft and expect trades to be made. I have no idea. So, you know, with just assuming who the one pick's going to be, I got to assume the Bears hold on to that because you got to think they take a defensive guy anyways. I think Will Anderson is the best guy to get. I mean, he's the edge rusher from Alabama, 6'3", 250. And he's probably the safest pick in this draft, in my opinion. You know, because with Jalen Carter, um, he's had a little bit of off-field concern. Um, It's kept him out from time to time. It kept him out of the combine. Um, And with a team like the Bears really in need of replacing a guy like Khalil Mack, who they lost not too long ago, um, I get it. They need to help out their offense and help out Justin Fields. But we're talking about potentially getting one of the best players in this draft. And I think Will Anderson's that guy. So if we're talking about mocks, who I think the Bears should take, I think Will Anderson is a great guy for that. And then you move down to the number two pick in the Houston Texans. You know, I've been hearing some things about how the Texans are interested in getting a guy like, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo or a veteran presence like that to lead the charge this season. Now, that doesn't mean they don't want to go get a top quarterback this season, but that they want to do all that with the goal to have this rookie come off the bench this season and learn from a veteran and potentially take over the reins, whether it be later in the season or next season. That's not something I'd personally agree on. I think these top quarterbacks in this draft are ready to go right now, but we'll see. But, you know, with that being said, who I think the Texans take, I definitely think they take a quarterback because who knows what they do if they do sign someone. But I think the smartest pick is, you know, I'm going to say, I think it's C.J. Stroud. He's not the player I want personally to go to the Texans because you're going into a hellfire and that Houston team. I mean, they have a lot of work to do to improve the roster as a whole. But if we're talking about getting the best quarterback available, I know a lot of people are saying it's Bryce Young. A lot of people are starting to think it's Anthony Richardson. I personally think it's C.J. Stroud. He plays the NFL style. Um, We saw in the playoff game last year that he's able to run when need be, but that's not his style of play. And I just think his athleticism is elite. And I think what puts him over the edge with Bryce Young, I think Bryce Young's a tremendous quarterback as well. 
But I want the bigger quarterback. I want the bigger quarterback who can still be mobile, who can, who can see over his line, and you don't have to worry about that. Because, you know, Bryce Young in college, they were listing him at six feet. Went to the combine, he's only 5'10", 200 pounds. He's not a very big guy. And that doesn't mean he won't possibly end up being the best quarterback in this draft. I don't know. I think they go hand in hand. But if we're talking about taking the best guy available all around, it's hard to pick one or the other. So I'm probably just going with the bigger guy. That being said, I think they end up taking Bryce Young. Um, But me personally, I would take uh, C.J. Stroud. You know, that leaves the Arizona Cardinals at three, um, who also are not really in need of a quarterback right now. I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up trading back as well or if they ended up just taking a guy like Jalen Carter Um, because I know Jalen Carter, he deals with some injuries. He has some off-field question marks, but he's still probably one of the most dominant players I've seen in in the last decade, arguably. A lot of people compare him to Aaron Donald. And if he's able to stay healthy and be the type of NFL product that a lot of people think, Jalen Carter is going to be a tremendous get for anyone who ends up getting him. So I think that'd be a great get for a team like the Arizona Cardinals. And then that moves us to the four pick, a team like the Indianapolis Colts. You know, you got to think they're going to take a quarterback. You know, with all the quarterbacks that are up here, um, you know, this mock has them taking Anthony Richardson. I think they take the leftovers of C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. Granted, we don't know. I'm assuming that trades are going to be made, that the uh, that the Bears are going to trade back. Um, so it's interesting because I could see a team like the Colts trading up to one of these top three picks to get one of these quarterbacks. And with that being said, you know, with how my mock's going, they end up getting Bryce Young, who is a tremendous quarterback and I think is a perfect get for a team like that to, you know, start ramping up to get back into their once dominant ways. Um, you know, they got a new offensive minded uh, head coach in Shane Steichen. He's been talking about how he's been looking for a dual-threat quarterback, so that goes right into the eyes of a Bryce Young, of an Anthony Richardson. And I think if they're able to get Bryce Young, they strike and go get him. Um, If both those QBs are off the board and they don't make a trade, I think this is where we see Anthony Richardson go. Um, He wasn't supposed to be a top pick like this, but, you know, with how well he did at the Combine, with, you know, just how athletic he is, how big he is and how he's still able to run the football. It's tremendous. I don't know how I feel about his decision-making throwing the ball. We know he's got a tremendous arm. You know, it's it's the best quarterback available, in my opinion. So I would look out for a player like Bryce Young or Anthony Richardson to get drafted by a team like the Indianapolis Colts. And then the fifth pick, I mean, it moves straight to the Seattle Seahawks, what I was talking about. You know, you got to think they're going to go with a defensive guy without a doubt. And whether that ends up being a guy like Jalen Carter, we don't know. It depends how the draft goes. If that's not the case, I wouldn't be surprised to see a guy like Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech, another edge rusher type that could be huge for them on the defensive end. Or personally, what I would love to see them do, it'd be to draft Paris Johnson Jr. out of Ohio State. I mean, this team has the chance to be one of the better teams in the NFC. They have a chance to improve their roster. And I mean, I think they have a good O-line, but I don't think it's great. And I think getting a guy like Paris Johnson Jr. would be a huge 
get for them, especially now that they just locked in uh, their franchise quarterback now for the next three years. Um, so I would love to see them get a guy like that. But of course, if they don't, in my opinion, they got to go to a defensive front guy, um, whether that is, you know, Jalen Carter, Tyree Wilson, a guy like Miles Murphy out of Clemson, um, something like that. So I'd keep eyes on that for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, that'll finish up my talking for the draft. And we're going to continue to talk about this draft as it begins um, to get closer and closer. Um, there are so many talented receivers in this draft that I haven't even been able to talk about yet, um, but that's for another time, another day. But the last thing that I want to talk about before the podcast ends here is that, you know, March Madness is right around the corner. Um, the conference tournaments start this Wednesday, and that means that it's time for teams to start ramping up and making one last push to fight to possibly make the tournament. This is going to be huge for some teams, and I want to specifically talk about, you know, the Big Ten because this is a Columbus-based podcast, but I understand that Ohio State is not making the tournament this year. They had one of their worst seasons um, that I can recall in recent memory, but that doesn't mean that other uh, teams in the Big Ten can't still fight um, to make their way in because, you know, there are teams such as, you know, Penn State, Rutgers, Wisconsin, Michigan, some of these teams in the Big Ten that, you know, they have to have a pretty good conference tournament if they want to find their way into the March Madness NCAA tournament. With that being said, I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a team like Penn State make some big-time noise um, in the Big Ten tournament. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see a team like Rutgers make some noise in the Big Ten tournament um, to potentially fight to keep in that March Madness, I guess, so to speak. But with that being said, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I don't think anyone's better than a team like Purdue in the Big Ten tournament. I mean, they got the player of the year in Zach Eady. He averaged 22 points and 13 rebounds a game. It's going to be tough for anyone to beat this Purdue team um, in the Big Ten tournament. It doesn't mean it can't happen, but, you know, these teams that are kind of on the bubble, whether it's, you know, last four in, first four out, whatever it may be, these teams need to run the table, such as Wisconsin, Michigan, teams like that, if they want to make the tournament. And, you know, I just don't see them getting through Purdue, who both teams have to do just to make it to the final four of their uh, conference tournament. But, yeah, I mean, outside of that, uh, how it's looking right now, it looks like it's possible that we can get the most teams in the tournament, um, but I don't see us as the biggest threatening conference in this tournament. You know, the, the SEC has a lot of top dogs. The Big 12 has a lot of really talented teams. But stop talking big picture and moving um, just to the top teams and who I think are the biggest threats to potentially win uh, the big tournament. Uh, March Madness as a whole, you know, you got to look at the top dogs like Houston. They've had a dominant season all year long. Um, they have a great roster. Um, they have multiple guys that can score the basketball. Um, they have no one that is so much better than anyone else. I mean, you could argue that Marcus Sasser's definitely their best player, but outside of that, I mean, they're a well-rounded team who anyone can go off on any given moment. You know, UCLA, they've been there before. They got the type of guys. I love Kansas this year, man. If any team is running the table as a high seed, I really think it's Kansas. And, 
you know, that surprises me saying that because I wasn't the biggest fan of them going into the year. Um, but Grady Dick has kind of proved me wrong most of the season. I know he's been struggling the last couple games, but he's a tremendous player. And he's two-way. Um, he's got the size. And Kansas just has those top guys led by Jalen Wilson. I wouldn't be surprised if they made some big noise. Um, a team to watch out for to potentially get upset and not have a big tournament run like we normally see him do, um, I think that's Gonzaga. Um, I know they got some of the top guys. They still have Drew Timmy, who they've always had these last few years. He's been on the team for a long time. But this has been a different type of year, a different Gonzaga Bulldogs team than we've seen in years past. And it doesn't mean they still can't win a first round, win a second round. Um, but I'm just saying if there's a team to watch out for to get a first round upset, you know, I think that team's Gonzaga. Last thing before um, we end the show today, because we're going to get much more into it as March Madness begins in the future, coming up very, very soon. Uh, but another team that I really like and I really think can make some noise in the tournament, and it's the Duke Blue Devils. I mean, I know it maybe surprises some people. They're really young. They don't have a lot of experience on that team outside of Jeremy Roach. Um, but they got a bunch of ball players. They got a bunch of athletes. And they've shown that on the defensive end, you know, they're able to get it done. And I think the biggest difference maker is, you know, they're rebounding as a whole. They're a tremendous rebounding team. And in my eyes, if you're a great rebounding team, it leads to more points for yourself. And in the tournament, it's going to be a lot of low scoring because that's how March Madness goes. But if they're able to dominate the glass like they normally do, then I wouldn't be surprised to watch this team make a crazy run. But outside of that, I mean, that's where I'm going to leave it today. Um, we're going to get into it a lot more. Like I said, we're just getting started. It'll be very interesting to see who wins the Big Ten tournament in, in my eyes. Um, I'd watch out for a team like Northwestern. Um, like I said, I'd watch out for a team like Rutgers to run the table. They're probably my favorites if we're talking underdogs in the Big Ten. Um, but outside of that, I mean, I'd say Purdue and Northwestern, I mean, obviously as the top two seeds, but they're probably my two favorites to, to win the Big Ten. Um, but that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening in. Uh, I think this is my first time doing it myself. Maybe one other time. Yeah, but... I enjoyed it. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. But I would still expect Ben back uh, the next time we have this podcast. So uh, don't be sad for too long because he will be returning. But, <laughs> but that'll be it. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you guys next week. 